It just uh, leads me to introduce the one, the only, Mark Bolton. So I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about edges and pages. <laughs> I am, actually. Um, first of all, I'm going to talk about... Uh, I'm just going to say, who's, who went to art school? Okay. Uh, those of you who didn't go to art school, who's drawn a picture ever? Right. So um, when, when you go to art school, well, depending on the art school that you go to. So I went to uh, Stockport College of Art. It's kind of a grim 1960s dilapidated building built around a wonderful old art school that had been around like 150 years or something with equally old and wonderful art teachers. Uh, and I went from A-level art uh, where we spent a lot of time drawing pretty crappy things, really, uh, and, and sort of honing your technique, honing your skill, right? So being able to use a paintbrush properly, being able to understand color, being able to understand form, that kind of thing. And then you get to, uh, found, I did foundation art, which is like a year course. And uh, so you turn up, and um, I'd never done life drawing before. And uh, in, in this college, you did life drawing twice a week. So those of you who've never done life drawing, it's kind of like you imagine uh, you all sit around an ugly naked person and you draw them. And the art teacher gives you constraints or things that you should try. You don't just draw the person, right? There's, there's things that you should be exploring, things that you should be doing. Anyway, so one day I turn up uh, and it's art. It, you know, it's life drawing again, uh, and as usual, there's an ugly naked person in the, in the middle of the room, and all the easels around the side, maybe 100 students, so it's quite a big room, but instead of just like a couch or a chair or something for the, the model to sit on, there were lots of little obstacles. So there was like a little chair and a, and, and a ladder and stuff, we're like, what's this about? Uh, and then there were two models. And they proceeded to, so the, the, the art teacher was like, right, you've, you've got to draw the models, right? There's no real constraints here. You just have to draw them. We're like, okay. Uh, so they start doing the obstacle course. And you had to draw them. And they didn't keep still. So, so how do you do that? Right? So you start drawing, and then you realize, shit, this piece of paper's not big enough. Do I, do I draw over what I've just drawn, which some people did? But, what, but rather stupidly, I asked for more paper and then sticky tape. So I started making bigger bits of paper and bigger and bigger and bigger. And I ended up with about three easels and things like this. But the, uh, and, and this weird shaped drawing. Now the idea was that uh, was edges. Uh, the, the art teachers at the time were... So whenever we're designing or drawing or framing anything, there are edges, right? That's not what I meant when I said there are no edges. What I meant is that there are no edges by which you define your layout because that is the starting point of any composition is how it appears within the space that you've got or that you give it. If you write big fuck off headline in big type and put it in a tiny little space, it looks big. But if you put it in three-point type in that screen, it's not so big anymore. And it's not that that has changed size, it's just the frame that you put it in. So that's what I meant there. So when I said, when I talked about cannons, and I talked, I, uh, I, Owen mentioned this, um, 
I talked about a new canon of web design and the fact that we've talked about uh, the page canons have come up today. And they are about defining your layout within a given space, right? Because that's how you create composition. All, all composition, painting, drawing, uh, a visual composition. The most important part of any composition is the frame you put it in. You look at the painting of the Last Supper, uh, the way that the figures are, uh, are composed is not necessarily because of the way the figures are poised or anything, it's because the frame in which it is in, and actually in the physical environment in which it's in, play an important part about, uh, of how that painting is to be perceived. And it's the same with, uh, it's the same with any, any layout, right? And there are, there are canons of page construction, there are a few that try to systemize the approach. Right? The, the idea with, the, with a canon of page construction is that you create beauty. So that's the idea. You want to create a beautiful layout. So uh, you want to be able to repeat that. So you need a system to be able to repeat that. You don't just pull beauty out of thin air. Uh, and that's what canons of page construction uh, are all about. So the idea that uh, there are no edges on the web, I agree with Paul. I think the edges uh, are there, but they're fuzzy. But I actually think that the edges are there, but they're not knowable. And that's, I think, is the key difference, is that when you have a piece of paper, or when you have a, a, a painting, or even a screen that's fixed width, the edges are knowable. And that's, that's the difference, and that's what we're all struggling with, is we don't know anymore. So that's what I mean about canvassing and content out, and no, no edges and no pages. Another thing that I've heard a couple of times today, and uh, I keep hearing over and over again, uh, is that we broke the web. And I, I'd like to say that I don't think we did. Because, so let's just for a minute take a, take a moment to pause and think about what the web was like back in the day, where before we apparently broke it, right? It was, uh, it was all text, pretty much. Uh, it was... Never designed to be just a read medium, it was a read-write medium, right? Uh, it was uh, fluid, but that wasn't necessarily a design principle on which it was created. It wasn't in the, necessarily in the specification to say this was fluid and it must adapt to different devices. No, Tim Berners-Lee didn't say that, right? It was just the way it was. Uh, and another thing was, in my notes here, uh, <laughs> um, ah, yes. The, a lot of people say that the, the, the web was designed to share academic documents. No, it was not. The web was designed to facilitate communication uh, and large experiments in CERN. Because the way that they were doing it was with memos. <laughs> and it's a total pain in the ass. You can't do that with a thousand people. Nothing would ever get done. So that's what the web was. And I think that the, we didn't break the web. Because I think the web was 25 years ahead of its time. What we did was we made it comfortable. We saw something that was inherently fluid and chaotic and read-write? What? Uh, and we thought, no, 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 we're just going to make it like a newspaper because that's what we know. And that's comfortable, we can read it, and we'll just make it like a, like a library and books. And that boils down to control. Uh, inherently fluid, chaotic medium, and uh, it freaks us out, and it still continues to freak us out. And that is just purely down to the fact that uh, we have to control the medium. Um, Mike Tyson, I love this quote. Mike Tyson has a, 
uh, once said that uh, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. Uh, and that's what I think responsive web design has been for us collectively. It's been a punch in the face. Uh, we, we had a plan. We, knew, we, we had control. We had edges. Uh, and then along comes Ethan and smacks us in the chops with his book. Um, now, some people, like Jeremy, were doing this all along and shouting from the, shouting the root of the shadowy cabal, like the Jedi, were there fighting the cause. No, it's fluid. No, it's fluid. No, it's fluid. And everyone else is going, no, it's not. No, it's not. Uh, this is not comfortable for me. Uh, I need to make it like a page. So, pages, edges. We don't, we don't have... We don't have pages in the same way, uh, or in the way that we'd like to think we do. But what I've started noticing in the past two years, since the book was written, pretty much two years, uh, are these. Um, and we've been seeing these technically, right? At what point did responsive web design become multiple page design? all packaged up as one design. I'm not saying it's bad. What I'm saying is it's comfortable. And we're, we're, we're doing it again, is what we're doing. Ethan smacked us in the face and said, look guys, this is, all, this is all fluid, and here's what you can do to make your website adapt to all these different devices, and we've gone, great. So I'll have a 320 device, and I'll have a 480 device, and I'll have a 768 device, and I'll put all my media queries into each one of those CSS files. And that's bad, because it's, it's creating a mental model of pages again. Sure, we've got CSS pre-processing and all of those kind of great, cool new things that you could do uh, to, to um, allow us to compile our CSS all into one, one thing. But in development, and I see this quite a lot, and in development, we're still using, we're still basing a lot of uh, uh, our kind of code separation upon those media queries. So it's a problem. So content out. We've heard this said a, a few times today, and over the past couple of years, and you know I've said it myself. Um, but what does that mean? Practically, what does designing content out, mobile first, blah blah blah? What does all that actually mean, kind of day to day, in our, in our daily work? Well. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you another first. I'm really sorry. Uh, because I think we actually need to be designing fluid first. Um, it's really hard to shed this idea of pages, right? Because it's, it's uncomfortable. Uh, we see the, uh, and you see this cropping up now with our, with our CSS files. We're, we're having pages again. The only way to get rid of this idea of pages is to force this discomfort. And the way to do that practically in your daily work is to design a fluid website. Oh, I can hear the shudder across the room. It's bloody hard. I hate it. I hate it. But we have to approach it that way because like Paul said, de design. De we can start viewing design as, a, as an enhancement. And progressive enhancement has been a great theme throughout today. 
If we can design a really great base experience fluidly, then we can enhance the design at breakpoints. So we go fluid first, and we enhance to particular breakpoints. So the progressive enhancement part here is, is really important because it's more than just JavaScript. It's more than just browser capabilities. It's, we, can imply, we can apply that same thinking of progressive enhancement to products, to features, to layout, right? So how can we do that? Well, rather than basing your breakpoints upon when your design breaks or basing your breakpoints upon common screen width parameters, uh, you can focus on creating a breakpoint for a, a kind of a measurable user experience. So what I mean by that is uh, we worked with a, an organization a little while ago who was changing, they're, they're like a, they're an enterprise um, document management system. And they were, they, they'd seen within their, within their user groups, you know, very enterprisey, very sooty. Uh, they were seeing something of a fundamental shift to how people are accessing and sharing their documents in meetings. Previously, They'd share all their documents. Maybe they'd have a um, they'd print them out and bring them to the meeting. Maybe they'd have a computer in the meeting room, which which showed it on a on a on a big display. But what they, they what they were seeing was that people were bringing along their tablets with the documents on. So they were shifting their entire focus to tablet. So their website and the support section on their website, you know, a lot, a lot of the, the areas on their website was, you know, and they had measurable data to show this, was that it was being consumed on a tablet. So it makes sense to focus your attention on making a tablet user experience, whatever, you, tablet, I mean screen size of tablet, I mean capabilities of tablet. It made sense to focus your attention there, not desktop, not small screen tablet. So that was a target canvas. We designed the site fluidly, but we targeted in on those. So that's what we call, I call a, a macro breakpoint. I know I'm introducing new terms, and I'm really sorry. Uh, but it's a macro breakpoint. And a macro breakpoint is when something big happens. So it's a change of layout, or it's, a, it's, a, it's an introduction of new features, or it's, it's something where something, something big happens to the experience. So when you have, you have macro things, you also have little things, micro breakpoints. So Elliot talked about this very briefly. Uh, so we see a lot of, um, well, we're doing this more and more uh, at Marble and Design, where we're, we're having big layout changes, but then we're introducing a whole slew of little uh, micro breakpoints, tweak points, as Jeremy calls them. And that's where you're, you're finessing the design, right? So who's a print designer? Any print designers in the room? A couple of, couple of hands. So when you, when you flow in content into a print, printed page and you, you create the layout, you chuck it in, and you start on the big stuff first, but then what you do is you spend an awful long time tweaking. And that, that's good typesetting in print, and that's what you do. And you, you massage the rag with left-aligned type, you, you do soft returns, soft, soft returns, you massage the hyphenation and the justification. 
All you're doing is tweaking, 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 tweaking. You've done the big stuff, and now you're doing lots and lots and lots of little things. And it's that that takes the time. Really, 80% is tweaking, and 20% is doing the big stuff. And you can apply that same thing here to, to responsive design. You can spend 20% of your time on the big changes and spend 80% of your time making those little invisible details that all add up. So what does that mean in practice, Mark? Uh, well, I think it means a few things that can be helpful to us. So first of all is CSS abstraction. Um, I think DHH wrote a great post on this at 37 Signals a while ago, which is, uh, we're so tempted to abstract too soon when we're, when we're writing code. And in fact, when we're doing design work, I'm a little anti, not anti-design li pattern library, but there seems to be a, a big push for create your pattern libraries. Create your pattern libraries first, even. Um, I think that's kind of nonsense because you're doing it with a vague hope that it'll all come together in the end. Uh, and that's abstracting the process too soon, I think. And you can see that in code. So one of the things that, that within CSS abstraction, you know, we abstracted our CSS a little while ago. It seems to go in cycles, right? We abstracted to layout CSS, typography.css, color.css. And then now we're having pre-compilers compile that all up into one CSS file so that it's less HTTP requests. Uh, but then we're also we're seeing um, media query-based CSS files. Yes, they may be getting compiled in pre-processing to one to reduce the HTTP requests. But what we're doing is by developing in that way, we're further kind of embedding this idea of pages. We're thinking pages. When we think, oh, well, this, this rule has to go in 320 CSS. We're thinking 320, we get a picture in our head of the 320 thing. Pages. So I think that we need to be mindful of how we abstract our CSS. Maybe it all goes into one. Maybe we have a lot of inline little media queries inline in one big CSS file. I don't know. I'm not really, I, uh, I'm not really sure. There's probably plenty of smarter people in the audience here than me to give some advice on this. But that's one thing. I think the second thing is fluid first. As much as it's hard and we're winging it and it's difficult to do, uh, we need to be thinking fluidly and then we need to progressively enhance to, uh, to layouts for target breakpoints. And those target breakpoints can be based on experience or uh, business need, user goals, rather than device size. We need to think about macro breakpoints that change layout. And then I think we need to be thinking about micro breakpoints, which are for tweaking. Lots and lots and lots of tweaking. So as Jeremy said right at the start, when he was sat down with the first three speakers, it feels like a big change at the moment. It feels, to me, it feels bigger than... Um, feels bigger than web standards because we, with web standards, it was, you know, it just made sense. We were moving to web standards because it made sense. And tables feel like, well, yeah, of course that makes sense. This seems to be much more disruptive because it's not just our jobs that it's disrupting. It's disrupting whole organizations, how they're structured, how they do work, how we work for other organizations, the design process that's been in place for since advertising in the, in the 50s well-trodden paths. Sarah talked about this this morning. 
It's very, very, it's touching every part of what we do. And I think it comes down to uh, comfort. And we made the web and we made our work comfortable. And I think what we need to do is to start feeling comfortable with feeling uncomfortable. That feels like inception when I say that. But this idea of just, we need to be uh, just willing to accept that discomfort. Work it, and fluid, working fluid does that. So thank you very much. Thank you.